So good morning. Welcome to the gathering of Recreate Church. That song is going to be stuck in your head, and you're welcome. Love that one. That is a great one. Exciting times right now, y'all. Did you know that we prayed for every one of y'all to be here today? Every single one of you. I pray all week. I pray all week, Lord, bring everyone who's supposed to be here. And look, here you are. You're an answer to prayer. Now, you already knew that, but the person beside you needs to be reminded. Tell them, I'm an answer to prayer. Just tell them that. I'm an answer to prayer. So, yeah, you're an answer to Duncan. Is, one thing I love about Duncan, he's so confident that he is an answer to prayer. I could just hear him telling everybody. What a week. We have a lot to be thankful for this week. Um, I'm praise God that Neil Marshall's here with us. God just, he'd been in a hospital all week, just had a pacemaker, and he's like, ah, it's just treating it like it's an oil change. Uh, just run in, get the oil change, back out again to God be the glory. Hey, yeah, James is here this morning, but Dad, he's doing pretty good, much better. Thank you for your prayers for him. Thank you for your prayers for him. I tell you, I had a, I had a fun time growing up with this guy right here. I learned a lot of things. Okay, you know, it's kind of like that old song, I can skin a book, I can run a trot line. Country boy can survive. See, my dad, I never was a Boy Scout. I wanted to be a Boy Scout in a worse way than I hung out with some Eagle Scouts. And I think, I think I learned all this with my dad. You know, I learned things. You know, a lot of useful skills growing up, growing food, making sausage, tracking animals, because that's a useful skill in 2023. Uh, building houses, changing oil, working on cars, doing plumbing. Now, my dad didn't care, didn't love plumbing or uh, auto mechanic work, but he can do that. He says, I'm the plumber now. Uh, learned how to find and sell the right, go dig in the woods and dig up a bunch of roots and sell them to get money for a car. That's how I got my first car. Now, if that ain't hillbilly, I don't know what's hillbilly. That's hillbilly. So these, uh, making fire by rubbing two sticks together. I've done that, which like, why would you do that? There's matches now and lighters, but I don't know. Learned a lot of those, um, bush hippie skills, you know, hillbilly stuff. Some things I didn't learn, okay? I didn't learn about dominoes. Either kind of dominoes. The, the pizza kind or the game kind. Now, while we're on the subject of dominoes, pizza, I don't think they have yet managed to out-pizza the hut. So if anybody, like, listens to the podcast and you're, like, with Domino's Pizza, send me a pizza, all right, so I can compare. I appreciate Pizza Hut because they're, like, next door to us. And when we work on the building, when we, we have our work days and stuff, we order pizza. So, um, and they haven't given me any free pizza either. So Pizza Hut, if you're listening to this, give me some free pizza and uh, prove that you're better than Domino's. See if you can out-pizza Domino's. Uh, I didn't learn much about the other kind of Domino's either. Not to say we didn't have any. I just didn't know how to actually do the game Domino's. I did not learn that until I was a grown man. Did not stop me from playing with Domino's. So what do you do with Domino's when you don't know how to play the game of dominoes. What do you do? You set them up and you knock them over. Tick, 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 tick. It's a lot of fun. Did that. So we are in the story of Jesus here where some dominoes are being set up that are going to tick, 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 fall over to go to this incredible important event that we're celebrating next week. Um, this is being set up and, and it's going to be knocked down and it's going to get us where we're going. We're in Luke chapter 19. This story is also told in Mark 21. Uh, in Matthew 21, rather, Mark 11 and John 12. If you've been following along, we have been in the book of Mark. We're probably going to get back to that in a couple of weeks, okay? We're going to take sort of a break here as we get into today and, and next week. Next week's a big week, though, y'all. What is next week? 
Resurrection. I like, I like it. Hey, Easter's not a bad word, but I like the name Resurrection Sunday even better because that reminds us of the main event, the whole reason we exist, all of this stuff we do, who we are and what we stand for. We are a community of life and love leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. And the reason we can have that relationship is because of his sacrificial death and his miraculous resurrection on our behalf. If there is no resurrection, there's no point to any of this. There's no church. There's no chance to join the family of God. There's no everlasting life, no rescue, no redemption, no hope. It's the main event. It is, it is the hinge pin of history. It's Jesus, he rose from that grave. He defeated death. He, he karate chopped the devil in the throat and rose up out of that grave. He defeated death, hell, and the grave to live forevermore. And those, if you will just trust in him, you can have everlasting life too. But of course, you cannot have a resurrection without something else coming first. There must be a reason for a resurrection. There is no resurrection without there first being a death. And that's difficult because we know something about the death that Jesus is going to die here in this story. Jesus is going to suffer and be humiliated and die this horrific death on a cross. Just about the most terrible form of torture and death we can imagine. Jesus is going to be murdered on a Friday, but on the Sunday before that, the disciples don't really understand. And that's where we are in this story. It's the Sunday before the crucifixion, like a week before the resurrection. And things look very, very different. It looks like, man, this thing's going to work. That's the day that Jesus comes into Jerusalem. And they're not saying crucify him. They're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Uh, he, the king has come. They're celebrating him. They're worshiping him they're praising him it looks probably to the disciples it looks like oh my goodness it's finally happening they're finally understanding they're finally accepting him as who he should be um they they roll out the red carpet so to speak the people in and around jerusalem they see jesus coming and they lay out their coats on the ground in the roadway and they cut down these palm branches and lay them down and they make this carpeted way for Jesus to come in. This is the sort of thing you did for a king. This was the welcome that you gave to royalty. Those palm branches are the reason that we have a, a traditional name for this Sunday. And uh, what do we call it? Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. It took me a while to figure out what that was when we first started going to church. But it's called Palm Sunday. Usually the Sunday before Easter, the Sunday before Resurrection Sunday because of this. Sounds like a special occasion, right? Palm Sunday. So, um, a special occasion calls for a special ride. If you're going to go to prom in style, you go get a limousine. I had a first cousin who got married, and she rode away like in a horse-drawn carriage. It was very romantic, except she had to go like three or four miles when it was 90 degrees down these backcountry roads. And I, don't, I think it sounded more romantic than it was. Yeah, that's a, there's a lot of stuff like that that sounds really good until you do it. Um, but in, in those days when Jesus lived, only the rich could afford a ride. Only the rich didn't walk. Even though Jesus 
literally owns the entire universe, he chose a life where he, a human life where he mostly had very little material wealth. The only thing of value that Jesus owned at the time he died were the clothes on his back. He had a, a decent coat. That's all he had. By and large, Jesus chose to identify not with wealthy and powerful people, but with just average, everyday, hardworking people. So with that in mind, Jesus is, this is the only time recorded in the Scriptures that Jesus is not walking on foot. He's actually going to ride something. So we have the question now, that classic question, WWJD. What's it stand for? What would Jesus drive? You heard it differently. What would Jesus drive? Okay. So Jesus was a carpenter, right? So what would Jesus drive in 2023? He'd drive an F4, a Ford F-150. Built Ford Tough. Now some of you Chevy people are saying, the Lord would not drive a Ford. He's got better sense than that. I don't know. A Dodge Ram. The Lord would drive a, I don't know. You'd think if he was a carpenter, he'd drive like a work truck. Okay, maybe. Now, some of you, some maybe a little more like cultured people would say, well, the Lord certainly cared for the environment because he made the environment. He would drive a Prius. I don't know. I think he would maybe have a little problem with the way they get all that cobalt for the Prius, but it sounds nice. Or maybe if people who have sort of this hippie concept of Jesus would say he's probably driving a VW bus, man, because he's all about peace and love and... Maybe. I think Jesus might drive a 97 Jeep Cherokee because it takes a miracle to keep them running. <laughs> Ask me how I know. Because there's a dead Jeep Cherokee in my driveway right now. Um, I would say, look, I, I love muscle cars, you know. Um, my, in my opinion, the peak of American automobiles was like late 60s, early 70s muscle cars. Anybody else cool like that? The people who didn't raise your hands, you'll figure it out eventually. Because the Lord was in the muscle cars, a Plymouth specifically, because it said he drove the money changers out of the temple in a fury. I had a Plymouth. I had a Plymouth Duster, which wasn't as cool as a fury. But it was, it was all right. Past anything but a gas station. Um, others would say this is, hey, I mean, obviously... What would Jesus drive? He'd drive a Chrysler. A Chrysler. A Chrysler. A Chrysler. Okay, whatever. It sounded good. Um, now, if you like, like supercars, like really fancy cars, and that idea appeals to you, it is possible that Jesus um, would drive a supercar because he gave himself for our eternal salvation. For our eternal salvation. But the real truth, the scriptures actually do tell us that Jesus drove a Honda. But he didn't brag about it. Jesus didn't brag about it. Uh, John 14, 29, Jesus said, I do not speak of my own accord. Okay. <laughs> the real answer of what Jesus would ride does, it speaks powerfully to us, okay? He's the king of the universe. Everything is His. And yet, 
he chose, he chose humility. He chose humility to become a human being. And he chose humility in his earthly life as a human being. And he is going to choose a very humble animal to serve him that day. And the lesson for us is, if, if we will humble ourselves before him, he will untie us and set us free. He's going to untie and set free this animal. He's going to untie and set free us too. So what's about to happen is a big deal. It is Palm Sunday. We celebrate that. But this was more than just like a famous guy visiting town. This was Jesus offering himself as a king. Now, we just talked last week about the feeding of the 5,000 and how after the feeding of the 5,000, or it was a follow-up story of that, that they would have liked to make Jesus king. They tried to take him and make him king by force because they thought, hey, any king that can feed us for free can be king. And he would not go along with that. Now, this story happens quite a while later, maybe a year later, something like that. And the time he is now going to make this formal offering of himself as king. He wouldn't do it before but because the time wasn't right, but the time is right now. So he is going to offer himself as king. Ultimately, he's going to be rejected as king. We know that because the crucifixion came. But right now, the formal offer is being made. Now, Jesus and the twelve were almost to Jerusalem, but they got to make one stop first because Jesus is still on foot. And now he's... He's got to stop somewhere and get, get himself a ride. So they stop at this village called Bethphage. And that is just across the Kidron Valley from Jerusalem. It is at the, the base of the north slope of the Mount of Olives. If you've ever looked at any of those maps in the back of your paper Bible, you'll kind of see there's Jerusalem, and then there's like a little valley, and then the Mount of Olives, and then Bethphage is right here. It's only just over a mile away. So... Pretty much if you set out on foot here and walk to the library, that's about how far it is from the eastern gate of Jerusalem to Bethphage. It's not far at all. So they stop there, and Jesus sends two of his disciples into Bethany to find a ride for him. And um, they, we know they're not coming back with a Ford F-150. None of y'all Chevy people are going to say, boo. He's not they ain't coming back with a Silverado or a Toyota Tundra or a Dodge Ram or any of that. He's going to come back with a, a surprising ride. And we're going to see what that is. What, what do you think a king should ride? Obviously, before automobiles, they, they wouldn't have that. What would a king or a king would ride? Like a horse, like a big white stallion or maybe a, a chariot or some kind of coach. They don't come back with any of those things. Let's see what Jesus asks for specifically. We're in Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 28. When he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite you, where as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went on their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, untying it, in other words, the owner of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. Let's stop there and let's pray. Heavenly Father, please speak to us now about this, this offering that you've, this offer that you've given us. 
to, to loose us as well like you did this little cold. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me be very specific here. It does not use the word in Luke, but we learn from other passages, the parallel accounts. This colt was the foal of a donkey. This, was, this is a young donkey. It's not a young horse. It's a donkey. Now, when we think of donkeys, we don't think of kings. We think of funny stories, you know, fables about donkeys being stubborn. Uh, we think of long ears and funny noises. And I remember like, like the old school Pinocchio movie where the bad boys turned into donkeys. Uh, I'm, that's why I'm a good boy. I'm just not gonna do, that's not going to happen to me. Or we think of, of donkey from Shrek. Shrek. We're going to stay up late, swapping manly stories in the morning. I'm making waffles. Yeah. Love that movie. I just identify with the, the, the big ogre. I don't know. It just seems, seems right. So when I think of donkeys, I think of a basketball game that I, somebody took me to when I was six years old. And at this basketball game, I walk in, and all the players are on donkeys. They're riding donkeys playing basketball. And I see a little confusion out here. Some of y'all didn't grow up in the south. You just got here. You didn't grow up in rural Appalachia. You just got here as quick as you could. Um, this is a real thing, or it was. I imagine the animal rights people can't be too crazy about donkey basketball now, but that was a thing at one time. I believe it was probably like the fire department putting on a fundraiser, and they went up to the middle school here, and they put rubber shoes on these donkeys, and they got out there, and they rode on the backs of donkeys, and they played basketball, which was highly entertaining for me, and maybe that doesn't make me square with some animal rights people. I'm so sorry. I was six. So I was six. Lucy's like, how could you do that to those donkeys? I just don't know how they didn't do what donkeys do and make a mess. Maybe they did. Maybe there was some donkey nuggets out there. I don't remember. I was six. So as I watched this game, there was a certain donkey that I had my eye on because it had, it had red shoes. I kind of I like the color red. I'd like to have some red shoes. I, need some, I told my wife I need some red Air Jordans. She said that's not in the budget. And also, you will look like Ronald McDonald because your feet are big. Um, so I don't have any red Air Jordans. That's on my list someday. You'll know that I've made it when I've got some Air Jordan, red Air Jordans on. Anyway, I watched this donkey with red shoes, and it was the wild one, okay? It was trying to buck everybody off, and it was running around. It was hard to control. And I was like, ah, look at the red donkey. <sighs> so after the game was over, for a nominal fee, I'm sure it was a couple bucks, um, you could, the kids could ride the donkeys. So I'm like, I want to ride the donkey. And got in line, I waited my turn, and it's my turn. And which donkey did they bring out for me to ride? The one with red shoes. Now part of me, there was just, I was torn. Part of me was like, this is going to be so much fun. And then the other part of me is thinking, what if I die? Uh, I didn't have a tremendous amount of fear of death at the time. Um, you know, I grew up pretty hillbilly, as I've said, and we went on lots of adventures. So I'm thinking as they're putting me onto this Mr. Red Shoes, and I'm thinking, what's he going to do? Is he, I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to get thrown off, and you'll never believe what happened. The donkey was completely well-behaved, and this story would be so much better if it wasn't. But the donkey just sort of trotted around, I guess, and it was perfectly fine. And it was an uneventful donkey ride around a middle school gymnasium, which in itself sounds a little weird, I get you. But in context, it was completely normal. And it was like, it was unexpected. This donkey's behavior was not expected. Um, 
it's, it defied expectations. And I, I think you're going to find that donkeys in the Bible defy expectations. There's one story about a donkey talking. That's for another time. But I will tell you this. Donkeys are mentioned 173 times in the Bible. The only animal mentioned more is sheep. In the Bible, a donkey is a symbol of humility and service and peace. So the, the people were expecting the Messiah to come. That is something that was, the time was ripe for Jesus to arrive. The people were looking. They were studying the prophecies. They were hoping that the Messiah would come. But they had a very different idea of what the Messiah, the Savior sent from God, would be like. When he arrived, they had it in their heads that when the Messiah came, he would show up as this military commander riding a great big horse, coming in, swinging a sword, chopping up the Roman oppressors as he came. They did not expect Jesus to come as a humble servant. They certainly didn't expect him to come in riding on a donkey. But riding in on a donkey showed that he was coming bringing peace, not war. He was coming offering peace. Jesus arrived in humility to save those who will humble themselves. He came to untie and set free those who will humble themselves before him. And that's really where I I wanted to go this whole time. You see, this, this donkey has a connection to us. To anybody who wants to come to Jesus for salvation, there is a connection. Now, this donkey, from the scriptures, we learned that this had never been ridden. It was a young donkey. It had never been ridden. Um, I have a very limited experience with horses trying to break a horse to be able to ride it. Maybe some of you are horse people. I like did it one time, and this horse, I was about eight probably, and the horse drugged me around at the end of a rope. And I was like, I think maybe horse training is not for me. So, this, it was unbroken, unhumbled, unsubmitted, and surprising that the owner of the donkey allowed it to be borrowed. I mean, imagine you go out and someone is like cranking your car, and they're like, whoa, 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 where are you, where are you going? And, um, and you're like, the Lord has need of it. The, the Lord has need of your Toyota. So, you know, for, for some of the cars that I've had through the years, I never worried about it getting stolen. Because you had to know how to crank it and keep it running, and it was like just right. Like, there have been some cars that I've had, my, you know, one I got now, I'm, I love it. I've had some cars that it had a theft defer, deterrent device, and the theft deterrent system was it was a piece of junk. So people wouldn't steal it. Why would you steal it? So, this owner allows the disciples to take the donkey. The Lord must have been speaking to his heart, or he's just a really chill guy. Like, okay, man, just have it back. Put a, little, put a little hay in it before you bring it back. Hay, gas. Anyway, y'all figure that out. It's a slow cooker joke. You'll get it like six hours from now. Um, it's a miracle that the donkey surrendered itself to Jesus because it had never been ridden before. But what did the donkey get out of the deal? He got untied. He was tied up, assuming to a post or something. The donkey was tied up. And he got untied and set free and got to be a part of something amazing out of the deal. The donkey did get something out of it. If this doesn't happen here, the donkey doesn't make the cut and this story's not in the Bible and no one remembers it for all history. (coughs) 
there is this repeated theme that you see in this scripture about being tied and being loosed. Okay? Being bound and being loosed. He said, you'll find a colt tied. Loose it. And then the owners will say, why are you loosing the colt? And you tell them the Lord has need of it. Tied and loosed. Bound and loosed. Tied up and set free. This has happened before in the scriptures. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus met a woman who had a serious spinal condition of some kind that kept her, he used the word bound. She was, she was bent over, she was crippled to where she couldn't stand up straight. For 18 years, she was bound by this affliction. And Jesus healed her and she was able to stand up straight. And he uses the same language. He said she was bound and now she is loosed. She was tied up. Now she's been set free. This is what Jesus does. He finds us when we are bound and sets us loose. He finds finds us when we are tied up and he sets us free. Now the woman in Luke 13 was tied up by her, her spinal affliction. The donkey was tied up by a rope to a post. What has people tied up today? What has people tied up? There's a lot of things. I'm telling you, I read some statistics that said about one out of eight Americans has, has a substance addiction problem. That's a lot. That's a lot of folks. And, you know, and we, we think of some of them, you know, drugs, alcohol, smoking, vaping, and all that, and you know, uh, misuse of medication. I mean, it's very, very common very, very common. Let me tell you, let me say this loud and clear for everyone to say, being an addict doesn't make you a bad person or unlovable. It absolutely does not. Lord Jesus loves you. It just means you need the freedom that the Lord can bring. You need freedom. That's why our church and many other churches around have um, ministries, recovery ministries. There's lots of recovery ministries around. We meet on Thursdays, right, Crystal? Thursday nights at what time? Thursday nights at 6.30, we do a recovery ministry here. And look, people need freedom from that. Freedom. And, and God can give us freedom. Don't let shame or fear stop you from being untied. Now, that is a little more... You can, you, when someone is wrestling with that kind of addiction, it's a little... Or, uh, that kind of thing that has them bound, it's a little easier to sort of pick that out, but there's a lot of stuff that's under the surface we don't always see. I mean, there's behavioral things that keep people bound. Um, man, there's more people than you would guess who have a real problem with gambling in one form or another or, or shopping, buying way too much stuff, stuff you don't need, um, with uh, viewing material that you absolutely should not be viewing, and smartphones make that awfully easy uh, with a risky behavior. It's, and let's just be real. You can do... You can seemingly be doing all the right things, but one of these doggone glowing rectangles in your pocket can take up so much of your life that it's a huge problem. And that's something I've had to look at, like just kind of sitting around scrolling on something, you know, scrolling Facebook or falling down in the Wikipedia hole because I'm a nerdy guy and I like to explore things. But meanwhile, there's like this whole thing going around. Life is keeping going on around me and and, you know, my wife and kids are like, what's dad doing? He's scrolling again, you know. It burns up a lot of time. And we need freedom from those sorts of things. We absolutely need freedom. We can be bound. Not all the ropes that bind us are obvious. Probably the most 
The rope that binds more people than any other is, is the hurt of the past. The hurt, the stuff that has been done to you, and the stuff that you've done can tie you up. Man, I've been a pastor for like 20 years now, close to 20 years, and I have seen almost everybody who comes to a pastor for counseling most of the time, whatever, the root of whatever's going on started a long time before they ever sat down in front of that desk. From the hurts they got growing up or sometime early on, and it can hold you tied up. Man, some of y'all in this room undoubtedly experience some things that nobody should experience or have some regrets of things that you've done that you feel like you could never, ever live down. I'm telling you right now, you can be set free. Now, will the people who hurt you in the past come back and say, I'm so sorry I ever did that? Probably not, because some of them are already dead. That's a fact. Will you get the opportunity to go back and apologize to everybody you've done wrong? If you can, do it, but you won't get that chance, perhaps. But I'm telling you, you do not have to be tied up for the rest of your life. If there is generational dysfunction, it's very hard to escape. But let me tell you, Jesus can change things. Maybe all you ever saw growing up was anger, but you don't have to be that way because Jesus can change who you are. It's possible with Jesus. Give Jesus the things that tie you up and it'll lead you to freedom. And then there's some of the sneakiest chains of all. And man, these are the ones that I've wrestled with the most, I think. It's the self-image stuff. Do you know that one of the devil's most powerful weapons to keep a child of God bound is a negative self-image? Now, I'm not saying you walk around like proud saying, hey, look at me, I am so great. No, it's just you think God, I'm going to tell you right now, it, it doesn't please God when we go around beating ourselves up all the time. And I am as guilty of that as anybody. It took me like 30 years to figure out that I shouldn't be beating myself up. And my mom's over here nodding her head. Say, I told you the whole time, son, <laughs> that you are made in the image of God. You don't have to feel bad. But uh, I told you all the story from like late elementary school to like a couple of years ago. Um, I was really mean to myself. And I'm, I'm not. It's getting much better now. It's getting much, much better. Some of y'all been around me. It's better, isn't it? I'm not beating myself up because what's the point? Hey, the devil's going to beat you up. He'll take care of that. You don't have to beat you up. Does it mean you're getting everything right? No, not necessarily. But I'm telling you, the Lord, the Lord don't want you beating yourself up. Take it from a guy who spent 30 years doing that. It's not good for you. It's, it, it held me back. Um, from trusting the Lord in a lot of ways. It really did. And man, we, we can be so... Let me just tell you, here's a fact. When deep down, you are not at peace with yourself, it will come out. Especially in your relationships. If deep, deep down, you are not at peace with yourself, I guarantee you, when things start going good, you'll start to sabotage it. It's very uncomfortable in the room right now, isn't it? It's getting really close to the truth. But when you are it's such a weird, weird thing that when deep down you are not at peace with yourself and things start going good, it doesn't feel right because you're not used to the idea that things should go good. So subconsciously, 
you start messing it up because that gives you that illusion of control because you know what to do when things are going bad. I was praying to the Lord the other day. I said, Lord, I think I've, I think I've proven I'll trust you when things are going bad. I, you know, when things are tough, but I, Lord, will I trust you when things are going good? And that's a real question. You see, it doesn't have to be this way. You can trust God with whatever situation you're in, but I'm when God looks at you, he likes what he sees. Does he like everything all in your behavior and your thing? No, I mean, he wants to, that's, he, he came, sent Jesus to save you and to bring you redemption and to make you all you're supposed to be. But man, he just, he doesn't look at you and see trash. He looks at, sees you as a person he wants to redeem and love and grow and develop and transform. You see, that's it. We're not just reading some self-help book, like learn, learn how to love yourself in 10 weeks or whatever. It's true transformation in Jesus. And there's some people in this room who have seen that and lived that and felt that and been transformed. And you don't have to hate yourself anymore when Jesus has transformed you. Just as surely as Jesus set that donkey free, he will set us free. Jesus wants to set you, untie you and set you loose. He made that little donkey a part of his royal procession. I I love it. He entered into Jerusalem and the shouts of Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it was amazing. We know, though, this is the domino that's being set up for what's going to happen and it was glorious in the moment, absolutely. We know what's coming. The crucifixion is coming. The resurrection is coming. But in that amazing, glorious moment, that little lowly donkey got to be a part of this amazing, cool thing. That's what Jesus does. He takes unexpected people and he makes them a part of his plan. See, do you get that's part of what you're being invited to? Jesus wants to untie you and set you free from the stuff that has got you bound. Not just so you can run off and do some other thing, but to make you a part of what he's doing. To make you a part of his plan. To make you a part of his royal procession. That's what the donkey got to do. He got to be a part of something that has immortalized him forever. Now, hey, I don't know if you'll get part of, be a part of something that you'll be in a story that is famous on earth, but it will be famous in heaven. You have a part to play. The kingdom of God is not the same without you in it. You're being called to the kingdom to be a part of it, to be a servant. Jesus wants to set you free from the things that bind you so you can be a part of this great story that he's been unfolding since the beginning of time. So maybe it's not real flattering in our culture to be compared to a donkey, to say, we need to be like the donkey. I get it. But understand, they didn't see donkeys that way in Jesus' culture. They looked at donkeys differently in ancient Israel. Kings and nobles rode donkeys in ancient Israel. King Solomon, you heard of him, right? The fanciest king in the whole Bible. The most opulent king in the whole Bible. On the day of his coronation, 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 33, what do you think he rode into Jerusalem on? A donkey. Wasn't a horse. It was a donkey. He rode to Jerusalem on a donkey. And hundreds of years before Jesus arrived, there was this prophecy by the prophet Zechariah, Zechariah 9, 9. I'm going to ask you to pull that one up on the screen, Janiah. You'll have to skip over one set there. Zechariah 9, 9. There you go. Zechariah 9, 9 is this prophecy that when the Messiah came, he would be on 
a donkey. I love it. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And the prophecy continues in the very next verse, and it talks about how the Messiah would bring an end to war and would bring peace to the nations, and all the world would someday be his kingdom. So Jesus arrives, according to prophecy, on this lowly donkey with an invitation to those who will humble himself, humble themselves. He wants to untie us and set us free. And that's really the message today. Jesus wants to untie you and set you free. Not just so you can run off and do some other thing, get yourself in a mess again, but so you can be a part of what he's doing in his kingdom and his family. I just, I just want us to say something together right now because I feel like we have some folks who really need it. And, and maybe if we say it together to make it easier for those folks, just say, Jesus, untie me. Jesus, set me free. Let's do it again. Jesus, untie me. Jesus, set me free. Jesus, untie me. Jesus, set me free. We're going to pray right now. If you need to pray right now and, and trust in Jesus as your Savior, this would be a great opportunity. Here's what you can pray in your hearts. Heavenly Father, I want to be set free. I want to be forgiven. I want to be in your family. I believe that Jesus is your Son, that He gave His life for me, that He died and rose again. Lord, I want the new life that you offer through Jesus. Please save me and make me new. In Jesus' name. Lord, I pray right now for anyone who has cried out to you right now in belief that you would begin a new thing in them today. And Lord, I pray for every single person who has been struggling with the things that have bound them, maybe for years, maybe for decades. God, we pray for freedom. We pray for deliverance. You do not just care about untying little donkeys outside of Jerusalem. You care about untying people from the hurt, from the pain, from the addiction, from the thought patterns that have them bound up. Lord God Almighty, we lift them all up to you, thanking you that you're the Lord who unties us and sets us free. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Thank you for being a part of this today. You were here because the Lord wanted you here today. Next week is Easter Sunday. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to hold your arms out wide and get somebody under this arm, get somebody under this arm and drag them in next Sunday, okay? Drag them in. Wear your deodorant before you do that because I don't want to scare them off. And we're going to have a great Easter service. I am so thankful for you guys. What a blessing. God bless you all. I'm going to turn you loose now. We'll see you. Have a great resurrection week. Be thinking about how Jesus gave himself for us. Take care.